And so I'm sitting there setting up and I was like, Steve, who's Steve? And, and like five minutes later, in walks Steve Jobs and he sits down across from me and- I'm in the big leagues, Tony don't miss me. Ballin' like Houston, ayy, feelin' like Whitney. I need a bag, bruh, send it through quickly. I'm making his dog, like I'm in the big leagues. Told him that I gotta go, dog. I'm riding a road, y'all. Bill Flynn has pitched Steve Jobs, has had his book and coaching endorsed by Alan Mulally, Amy Edmondson, and Marshall Goldsmith. Bill has worked for and advised hundreds of companies, including startups, where he has a long track record of success in multiple industries. He has been a VP of sales eight times, twice a CMO, and once a GM of a division of a $100 million IT services company before pivoting to become a business growth coach in 2015. So Bill, firstly, thanks for coming on the show. You know, just in your own words for the listeners who don't know you, what is your business? What do you do today? Sure. Well, thanks for having me on, Kevin. I appreciate it very much. Um, so uh, I like to describe my business, not what I do, but what I do for others. And basically what I do is, is I help leaders and their teams take the guesswork out of growth. I do that by teaching them a framework which focuses on three main things, um, the team primarily, but you know people in general, culture, et cetera. Strategy and execution as two sides of the same coin, and then leveraging cash as your financial metric of, um, of growth. Because if you want to grow, you have to invest in the business, and typically you have to invest in front of that growth in order to make sure that that happens. So that's primarily what I do. Most people call me a coach, but uh, that's such an amorphous term these days. Uh, I, I typically don't use that that word. Okay. And in the description, I obviously touched on, uh, you know, you worked for and advised hundreds of companies. How did you transition into being a business coach? Was that just a natural next step for you? Or was it a bit more complicated than that? Sure. There's a little story there. So I, um, between startups five and six, so I did 10 startups over about 25 years here in uh, the Massachusetts, Boston area. And between startups five and six, I was asked by my daughter and then wife at the time, you know, do you need to do another one? And we had, I had done pretty well, basically four for five, you know, a couple of IPOs in there, a few acquisitions, et cetera. And um, so I took some time off. Um, got to spend a lot of fun time with my daughter when she was seven or eight years old. Got to drive her to school, pick her up, do all those wonderful things. And I was brought into this company where I was asked by the founder to make him look, make the company look big. <clears throat> so I was brought in to, you know, really pump up sales and marketing and that kind of stuff. So that's what I did. Hired some folks, put some processes in place, and then about a year later or so, the company was bought <clears throat> by a much larger organization, which you mentioned in the intro, which is about a $100 million IT services organization. Eventually, the founder left. I was asked to stay on and run the division, which was about a $9 million division about at the time. And um, on my first day, it was January 4th or 5th, 2009. I described it as the best and the worst day of my professional life because uh, I took over this business officially. I've sort of unofficially been doing it for a few months. And the infrastructure, the technical infrastructure that was put in place to deliver email, we were an email hosting company before Gmail was a thing and really before Office 365. We didn't deliver email to anyone really for like two and a half days uh, because the, the infrastructure fell on its, fell in on itself. So uh, the, the larger company was going to up, update the infrastructure, which they had to accelerate. But I had 60 or so people working for me. I had thousands of customers and I had three or four, you know, five of us on the management team. And two of them had really never been in that position before. So I had to do something. And uh, it turns out I was I, uh, I, I was a coach. So I said, look, guys, 
we got this problem, it's being fixed, but we have all these people, we have all these customers, we got to figure this thing out as a team and help each other to do that. So I said, you know, to the guy who ran the network infrastructure, I'm technically adept, but I have no idea how to do that. Never run customer support before, never done anything in finance. So I said, you know, let's work as a team. I sort of have an idea of what it looks like when we get out of this. Let's debate, discuss, and decide that. And then I need each of you to draw a roadmap from where you are today to what you need to be at in order for us to reach that sort of vision, if you will. And it worked great. Uh, we worked together every week. You know, we had our weekly meetings. We, we supported each other. We asked for help. I left about a year and a half later. Uh, we hadn't quite gone there, but it was pretty much in the bag that we're going to get about $14 million. So we, you know, sort of, we actually shrunk from 9 million to almost seven. So we basically doubled the size of the business in a couple of years. Didn't lose one employee, had to win back a bunch of customers because we lost about a thousand. So I tucked that away because when I left to go do the sixth startup, two, those two guys I mentioned that were relatively new came to me and said, I just want you to know that thing you made me do, draw that roadmap from where we were to, to where we wanted to be. I hated it. It was really, really hard, but I'm so glad you made me do it because now I sort of know how to do it. You know, you sort of broke through that. So I tucked that away and, and you know, I want to take that coaching experience and figure out how to do it again. And so after the 10th startup, um, I began this about, but uh, we're coming up on seven-ish, eight years, something like that. Wow, that's quite a story. Do you ever miss the, you know, working in the startups, you know, not so much coaching them, but in them? Absolutely. Yeah. Eventually I was uh, five or 10. The last four did not go well, okay. which is why I'm not, which is why I'm not doing it anymore because, you know, I sort of have my theory that it's a lot easier to start a company now than it was in 95, 94 in, in tech. Okay. It cost about $15 million to start a business in 1994, 1995, you know, in tech. Now it, the same business costs about a hundred thousand dollars, maybe less. Uh, so it's super easy. So almost anyone can start a company and almost anyone does. I, I had a hard time because founders often have something called founderitis, which is basically they fall in love with their idea and not with the problem or the customer. Uh, and that's what I found in my last four is I couldn't convince those people that, you know, this this wasn't really the problem that our customers were trying to solve. It was something that you wanted to do, which is great. But if you want to grow to be large, we have to do some other things. We have to really dig dig deep to do just customer discovery, other kind of stuff to get there. And they weren't interested in that. Um, they just, I was generally running sales and or marketing at the time. So they just blamed me for it. And I couldn't convince them otherwise. So the last four were pretty tough. So that's sort of why I am out of it. I absolutely love doing it. Um, I love puzzles. And to me, a startup is just a big puzzle. Uh, so that's what I miss. So, you know, I, I do puzzles in other ways. You know, I think being a coach for people who want to grow is, I'm actually sort of, I'm not solving the puzzle for them. I'm helping them solve the puzzle. You know, I'm sort of saying, hey, let's put it in terms of a metaphor of a crossword puzzle, um, a um, jigsaw puzzle, right? You know, I'm saying, look look for the corners first, you know, do the outside edges and then try to, you know, combine the, the things that are, that are the colors that are the same. And I'm doing, I'm giving them all that sort of work, but they're the ones finding the pieces and putting them into place. Yeah, yeah, I get you. Okay. And with... With most startups or most companies and most businesses, I'm sure you've experienced this more than most, there's usually an initial investment or initial funding that you need. To start your, you know, the business coaching, did you need an initial investment or was it purely, you know, mainly based off the connections you already have? So it was relatively, you know, cost-free. It wasn't, 
expensive to start the business, but I felt since I was never really a CEO, I was a GM. That's sort of the closest I got to running a business on my own. I wanted to have some sort of foundation to work with. So I invested in basically myself and I went out and got trained on a particular framework. I also read and, and learn new things on a regular basis. So I have four or five certifications and different things. So those are the investments that you make. You know, I work from home. You know, generally I don't, I, I work with a, a large easel pad and, and stickies and, and Sharpies. So it's not a heavy investment, but what happens is I started from scorched earth. Like there was nothing. I had no clients, no, nothing. So the investment was, I still had bills to pay. So I, you know, sort of took some money. My parents had recently passed away. So I took some money from that and use that. So it was mostly the investment to keep the house in order and, you know, save for my daughter's college, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, of course. Someone has to keep the lights on, even when yeah. you are starting something new. So that makes sense. You know, you obviously have quite a extensive business and career history. Would you consider what you're doing now your ultimate passion? Or would you have chosen something else? Maybe given the chance, maybe there's something else you tried that you always wondered if you would have, you know, maybe enjoyed that more than what you're doing now? Or would you say that the business coaching is is it for you? Yeah, I really loved startups, but I got to say, working for myself, doing what I do, there's great satisfaction in it. And uh, I would say that that word is correct. It is a calling, right? A calling is something that you would do for free um, if you could. And uh, I, I definitely do. I, I can't afford to do it for free just yet. And I do get paid a good amount of money every time I, I work with a client, but I, I do it for free on a regular basis because uh, I just love it so much. And I think... One of the measurements that I've come to believe is, is important when you're really sort of in that flow is you have to be aware of time. And when time flies, you're not even aware that an hour has passed. It feels like five minutes. Then to me, that's that's something that you should pay attention to. That's maybe a calling or something that leads to your calling. So I would say, yes, this is a calling for me the way I see it. Okay. I'm sure you've heard the expression before of, of making it, right? Have you ever sat back and felt like you've made it? If so, when was that? And if not, what what do you think that would look like for you? Yeah, um, I don't know that I've ever made it. I'm I'm um, I study stoicism, uh, and you know that's a, a philosophy that's you know a couple thousand years old, based upon Socrates and other things. And so there are some fundamental tenets that they that they think about, and so complacency is not one of them, right? There have been certain sort of short times in my life where I sort of felt like, you know, I made it, so to speak, at least for a period of time. You know, the first IPO that we did where I knew I had a significant impact on the valuation of the company as one of the, one of the actually I was a top sales guy uh, and, and the top, one of the top directors of sales there. Um, so that felt good. Having a, a great daughter um, and, and being a good parent, you know, I think that's sort of, uh, you know, my daughter's off and doing a lot of her stuff on her own. So that's sort of another made it, even though that never ends either. So I can't say that I've ever sat back and said, you know, I, I I did everything I wanted to do, but there have been moments where it felt good for, a, a, you know, at least a temporary amount of time that felt really great. Yeah, that makes sense. And so I didn't know this until I read your, the description that I, I spoke about in the beginning, but if you can, can you, can you expand a bit on the story about Steve Jobs? How did you end up pitching to Steve Jobs? What was the, what was the story there? So I worked for a speech recognition company in the, in the early nineties called Dragon Systems. It was, a lot of the technology and, and the um, 
and the basis behind it was what's uh, what Siri. A lot of guys that worked there went to 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 build Siri. But I was there really early on, and you know there was no Windows product. You know it was it was a heavy and expensive thing. But uh, I got to work with OEMs, so original equipment manufacturers like computer manufacturers, software developers, etc. And uh, I ended up going to Next, and I was talking to some of the product managers, and so I showed up. You know I was, I was in California, and I went to their offices. And I was setting up in the conference room and one of the product managers, you know, said, hey, you know, well, we may start a little bit late. Steve might pop in. And so I'm sitting there setting up and I think, Steve, who's Steve? And, and I didn't remember Steve from my setup calls and whatever. And it never dawned on me, right, at all. And like five minutes later, in walks Steve Jobs and he sits down across from me and asked me a bunch of questions and um, asked for demonstration, asked some more questions. So it was pretty, probably there 20, 25 minutes. And just said, okay, great, thanks. And he, you know, he wanted to see this is this is um probably late 90s. So he was just getting an update. You know, these days you don't have to have a salesperson come in and to see what's going on, but then you did. And it was probably good that I didn't know because I had friends and family that worked for Apple when he was there. And I had heard some pretty interesting stories about his style. Uh, I probably would have been a little more intimidated if I had to think about it and, and knew it was there. But he was very pleasant, asked some great questions, and then, you know, politely went away. So it was uh, it was an interesting experience. It's just something I could talk about. Yeah, no, for sure. That's awesome. Uh, very unique. And so having worked most of your life with multiple companies and advising them and being a part of various startups, what would you say are the keys to running a successful company? I know you did touch on them, uh, you know, in the introduction. Yeah. So first is if you're a startup, you're a completely different entity than a scale-up. Right. So I'll start with startups. Startups need to do only two things if you're a startup founder. One is find a problem worth solving for a market that's large enough to support a business. The first part is is much more easily done than the second because you don't know the market until you've figured out the problem and make sure that there's a problem there. Because often the problem, often where you start is not where you end up in a startup. It's very rare that you like have this idea and go out to this market and, and it's exactly what you thought. And you, you become a hundreds of million dollars or a unicorn or whatever it is. That's a pretty rare situation. So that's that's pretty important. And then the second thing is don't run out of money. Uh, often what startup founders try to do is they're you know they're chasing revenue and they're just trying to survive and they're investing in too many things. They're not going deep enough yet. And a lot of the things that that you need to do to start your business don't cost a lot of money. They're mostly about conversations, and I don't call them conversation. I call them interrogations. You actually have to interrogate your potential end user. And I don't mean interrogate like, you know, bang your fist on the table and shine a light on their face and all that kind of stuff. But an interrogation when done well often pulls information out of the other person that they weren't even aware of. They're able to ask questions, you know, and, and uh, like a good interrogator um, will sit down with someone, say, who's a witness? And, and they'll say, you know, what did you see? And they sort of describe something. and It's not very clear. They'll, they'll say, you know, well, tell me more about where you were, right? Were you inside? Were you outside? What was the temperature? What, what were the smells? What were the other people around you? Because they know that those associated those associations will trigger other memories, and that's what you need to do as a uh, as a founder. You're trying to make sure you understand the struggle that your potential user is having. Don't ask them to tell you what to make because they'll tell you, and and that's not exactly what they want, um, or certainly not what they'll buy. So you have to make sure you understand that. So that's sort of a, a startup and scale up, which is make sure your problem solving a problem worth solving and hopefully with a big enough market to support your business and then don't run out of money. Everything else, culture and all this other stuff is unnecessary. 
because there's a great there's a great definition of a startup, which is a startup is a temporary organization in search of a business model. And if you haven't found a business model, you're not a real business yet. Don't act like one, right? Don't do all these things, invest in the business, et cetera. Make sure you've found that problem we're solving first. But once you've done that and you've gotten through that sort of product market fit knot hole, you can then decide you have two, two choices, basically. Do you want to be a lifestyle company where you're just sort of pulling money out of the business and, and having a lifestyle, which is perfectly fine? Or do you want to scale? If you want to scale, then to me, you have to revisit all those decisions that you made earlier to make sure that those ones that you made earlier will support a business going forward. And then as we touched on a little bit and I touched on in my book, there are really only three things that you have to worry about, uh, but they're, they're big meaty things. But make sure that your, your your team, especially the team that you surround yourself with, is an A team and they make you better because they're better at the things that you're not good at. Um, and you and they have a psychologically safe environment so you can fight in a healthy way because that's the best decisions you have. Then you have to understand, you have to have a strategy. You know, what, what is that? And the strategy is really the thinking that goes around that helps you with the plan, right? You, you measure everything against that strategy and know that you're executing on your strategy. So those two things go together. You execute as you go. Um, Simon Sinek has this sort of infinite game, which is one of his latest books. That's what he's talking about. Strategy never ends. You don't like have a strategy and it stops. You're constantly re refining it and updating it because technology changes, demographics change, world situations change, et cetera. And then lastly, if you're going to make sure you understand um, a financial metric, don't measure your business by revenue. Revenue is vanity. Profit is good, but you can move profit around. You can change your salary. You can move money and, and seem more profitable, but doesn't necessarily mean you are. But cash will not lie to you. Um, cash is the only thing on your PL and your uh, and your other business statement that won't lie to you. So know that your business is growing on the foundation of cash and understand how to do that. So those three things, really understand team, how to attract, build, and develop teams. Make sure you understand how your strategy and execution work together. And then make sure that you have financial, your fin primary financial metric is cash, not revenue or profit. Sure. Okay. Uh, awesome. So just, just shifting gears a little bit, going a bit deeper. Um, I just want to talk about some challenges. You know, you're always facing challenges in business, no matter what your background is, what race you are, what circumstances you come from, what university or college you went to. What would you say is one of the most trying challenges you've faced in your life so far? And if it is not directly business related, how did it affect your business as I'm sure it would have? So from a professional perspective, I'd say the challenge I already talked about, which was that situation, right? Is that lost thousands of customers in a week and, and had my team was getting yelled at on a regular basis. And so that was challenging. I had that, I had, you know, we had to get through a bunch of stuff. So professionally, that was sort of the biggest challenge that I had. Um, personally, it was probably, I'm a child of an alcoholic, you know, so that was certainly a challenge growing up. Um, I actually don't drink um, because of it. I do believe that you know alcoholism is a genetic has a genetic component to it, and I didn't want to risk it. I have other vices, um, so uh, I didn't want to add that to the uh, to the mix. So those would be sort of be my two my two challenges. And and I think you said sort of how does it apply? So it's funny now that I do what I do, and I, and I've really intensely studied business in the last six or seven years. I would have done so many things differently had I known the stuff I I know now then. I made my and my team's life so much harder than it needed to be. Running business is certainly a challenge, but we make it far more challenging than it needs to be. Um, there's a there's a there's a big gap between what science knows about how to run business and how people actually run their business. 
Um, and we should we should understand that. I also think it made me much more disciplined in what I do. And it's helped me working for myself because I work from home. I work by myself. I don't have anyone to be accountable for. There's certainly days that I, you know, that I would have um, worked much harder had I been in an office and, and sort of felt the pressure of being seen. Um, but I have a relatively good discipline. You know, I, I do things on a regular basis. And, and um, so that's um, that's sort of how it's helped me as well. And so having achieved so much and having come such a long way, what's next? Is there is there something that you have in your vision still? And if so, is there a game? What's the game plan to get there? Yeah. So my BHAG or courageous consequence, whatever you want to call it, is to touch a certain number of lives. Um, so I'm trying to find ways to do that. So one of the things that I'm doing, I work with clients on a one-on-one basis, you know, one to few actually. So a team of four to eight people typically is what I work with. So I'm working on something called roundtables where I can where I can sort of do it in a more classroom environment, teach, you know, lots of leaders and their teams and sort of run it um, on a regular basis. That's the next model that I'm looking to do. I'm also part of a great organization called 100 Coaches run by a few gentlemen, uh, Marshall Goldsmith and Alan Mulally and actually Francis Hesselbein, who used to be the Girl Scout cookie lady. And we're always trying to solve world problems, big world problems. We talked about, you know, mental health as a, as a problem and what we can do to it. So there may be some other challenges that I that I do that. But mostly I'm focusing on myself and my business is running well, but it's not running itself. So I'm, I'm trying to figure out ways to make it so it's I can bring clients in when I want and have a a, a big corral of clients so then I can spend more time doing other stuff. Okay. And lastly, what is one message you would give to a young entrepreneur? Yeah. So um, I, I sort of touched on it already, but I'll, I'll say it in a different way is, is the, the primary thing you do if you're going to start a business is to do what's called discovery first, right? And that's that interrogation thing, right? So learn customer discovery or jobs to be done, which is another technique to use um, and apply that. It will make your life so much easier in the long run, you know, that you have to remember that a startup isn't just the beginning. It's the whole, it's the whole journey, right? And until you've gotten through that product market fit, that is the whole process. So if you want to make that a more enjoyable and more successful process is, uh, you know, learn those techniques like customer discovery, you know, uh, Steve Blank or Cindy Alvarez have some great tips on that or jobs to be done from Bob Mesta. Learn those things and apply them. They have been proven by many, many companies to be a great way to go. And just before we sign off, now's your chance to give your business a shameless plug. Where can people find you in your business? Maybe you can also tell them where they can find your book. Is it online or is it only in hard copy? Yeah. So, uh, so my book is here and you know, you can, um, it's called further faster. You can get it online or download it. It comes in uh, a Kindle audible, audible you can also download it for free from my site i have a pdf version out if you don't want to have me earn four or five bucks for every time you download that's perfectly fine i'd rather get the message out than um than make a ton of money off of it and all those things can be found on my website among among other things you know um which is catalystgrowthadvisors.com hey bill well i appreciate your time thank you so much for coming on the show it was really awesome thanks Kevin. appreciate it what is up, you absolute weapons? Thank you for watching and listening to None of Your Business. If you haven't already, please subscribe to our YouTube channel. And if you want to follow us on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and all of those beautiful places, you can find the links in the description below. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Until next time. Like I'm in a big league.